Hey everyone, this is Charlie Levine, editor of Angler's Journal Magazine, and you're listening to the Angler's Journal Podcast, brought to you by Angler's Journal. If you're looking for a different fishing magazine that's not just knots and sharpening hooks and that kind of stuff, but actually digs deeper into the people and places that make fishing so special, please run over to anglersjournal.com and pick up a subscription. Now, for the past 10 years, Angler's Journal has always looked for really relevant, interesting marine artists, um, whether they're new faces or people who've been at it for a long time. And our guest today has been a sculptor and painter and photographer for many years. I've been a fan of his work. Um, If you've never heard of Jeffrey Smith, you really need to check out his stuff because you're in for a treat. So today, I welcome to the pod... Jeffrey, how are you today, sir? Excellent. Thank you for that warm introduction. Sure. I think, you know, the first piece of yours that I ever really admired is, in person anyway, is the big sailfish there in Stewart, Florida, right there in the center of town. And um, before we talked, I kind of went down a YouTube rabbit hole watching how you built that thing. And I was just blown away by the amount of labor and man hours involved. That, this is, that was a serious undertaking. Yes, yes, it was. That was, um, that was my first big project. And um, it was a, a very interesting. Stewart uh, is a great little fishing village. Um, I moved here in uh, 97, I think, from uh, having 18 years in Montana and um, immersed in the sailfish culture, fishing for sailfish here. I had a little gallery uh, I opened in downtown Stewart. Uh, and then I had a, um, I bought an old building for my studio, which was just off of downtown and uh, had a nice sculpture garden outside and a big showroom as well as my work area. And I had the, the downtown business association people uh, came to my studio and and they said we have a commission for you there's a big roundabout going in and you know we want you to make a big sailfish and I'm like this is awesome but they had one catch they didn't have any money <laughs> oh geez <laughs> and so this was actually it's it's uh, uh interesting this is the 20th anniversary of that sculpture being there wow and um I'm 62 now and it's amazing how much more energy and hard work you can put in, you know, when you're 42 versus uh, 62. But um, I was all excited and they thought they could sell t-shirts and raise the money. I'm like, these things are very expensive and and you'll you'll never sell enough t-shirts to, you know, we'd have to have factories going all over Bangladesh to make the sailfish happen. So I went out and, and, and talked to a number of my uh, uh, collectors and the, uh, the light tackle tournament was going on, the, which is a, quite a famous sailfish tournament mm-hmm. here in Stewart. And I, you know, I was there and I've done a lot, a lot of, um, my sculptures have been used for trophies for, for you know, Many tremendous tournaments. tournaments around the Caribbean and Florida. And, and so I remember I just, you know, everybody I asked, I thought, I thought well, you know, we'll get everybody to, uh, you know, make a donation and we'll get enough money and make this thing happen. And so uh, Ed Sellian was a big uh, fisherman, uh, very big in the tournaments. Um, 
and I'd mentioned it to him. And, and then the next night at the, at the, uh, um, you know, the, one of the parties after the, the tournament, uh, he goes, I'll do it, Jeffrey. I said, you'll, you know, I'm like, you'll donate $10,000. He goes, no, I'll pay for the whole thing. So that's how the Stewart sailfish, um, uh, came about. That's and, amazing. You really and, need and, those patrons out there to, to yeah, see it, yeah, it was like, support I, it. Yeah. Which, which was awesome. Cause I, we were going to do a big fundraising campaign and everything, and it was all kind of done. Um, and, uh, he was a huge fisherman. His father was, the, the piece was dedicated to his father and the ocean and the beauty of the sea. And, and, you know, also just a, a, a reminder of, you know, what a unique and great place Stewart is. Yeah. Um, well, it's, you know, it's one of those things when you drive around that roundabout and you say, wow, that's really pretty. And you look at the size, you know, it's, it's a big, big sculpture, but then watching the video of, you know how many pieces were involved to make it and the casting and the molding and pouring the bronze and it looked like a couple of blacksmiths you know it's like they were really it's a lot of physical labor to do something like that i just was unaware yeah the yeah the first we we, we start with uh, obviously as an artist it's observation and you know spending as much time you know, watching fish swim and, and all that and fight and, and feed and, and learning about the fish. And then I, I go, um, I make small drawings and then I do a three-dimensional um, maquette um, as to study for it. And is that yeah. a painting of it too, right behind you there? Yeah, yeah. So that, that um, but let me show you, this is the maquette. So from this, we scaled this up. This piece is about two feet tall, and the big one's uh, right at 19 feet. And That's I have beautiful. all the, I have all the little bait fish in the bottom. Yeah, it's and just gorgeous. So much sail. detail. I mean, because sailfish are such a, they move so graceful and fast, it, but yet to capture some of that movement in the dorsal, and the shape of the body, I would imagine that's got to be extremely challenging, but fun too i would think I, I um i i love what i do and and the nice thing about working in the plastiline is you move it you can change it it's you know i started out uh, as a wood carver when i was like 15 years old and i carved primarily duck decoys and then i i did sculpt or carve a few fish mostly trout uh, back then and and i kind of sold everything i made and and I didn't think I could make a living at it. But then uh, after I graduated from college in Montana, I um, learned about the lost wax process of casting bronzes um, out there. That's the land of, of Charlie Russell and Frederick Remington. And, and um, Harry Jackson was another big contemporary Western artist out there. And um, I learned the whole the bronze process and I thought wow by making multiples I could actually make a living at this and and I kind of right out of college jumped into it with both feet and I've uh, been been at it ever since and and it's it's been wonderful wow what a yeah that's fortunate to find something you love to do and and actually be able to feed your family and whatnot that's cool and I just I like your approach too, and in, in watching some of your videos, um, I watched the piece you were talking about the brown pelican, which living in Florida, you know, 
we see a lot of brown pelicans, right? And and you've done some really cool sculptures of them, but my gosh, you were like you're like a pelican expert. <laughs> you you know so much about this animal. So is do you just kind of I don't know if obsess is the right word, but just get so into it that you want to learn all this stuff before you start sculpting or does it what's the process like so it's it's fascinating um yes i when i learn about an animal i want to you know learn as much about it and it it, it all those facts that i put in that video you know do they pertain to my sculptures uh, probably not but you know it's it's interesting to know that a, a pelican turns one way because of the way the esophagus goes down the neck and it protects it when it hits the wall at speed. Um, you know, that's good, uh, you know, uh, important thing to know, I guess. Yeah. Um, I love the uh, pelicans are great birds. And, you know, back to the fishing magazine, you know, fishing and birds are so interconnected. Um, I mean, you can't help but be a, an ornithologist if you're a good fisherman. <laughs> oh yes always looking for bird activity right they're the best indicators they're the the eye in the sky and are you out on the water still quite a bit i know you like to canoe and paddleboard and stuff but do you do you still get out and fish as as much as possible um I, this morning i paddleboard boarded across to the i live on intercoastal and i paddleboard across jupiter island and walked to the beach and uh, flew my drone around a little bit. I was actually looking for sharks, but um, we've had a lot of rough weather and the, the water so turned up, it's hard, hard to see anything. But um, yeah, I try to, you know, balance my time between being out on the water or in the wilderness, in the studio, and then I'll, you know, then production at the foundry um and all those things and then in the gallery to meet with our customers sure um, it, but it I, seems seems like all the great ones like you are are definitely continue just studying all the time or being a naturalist i don't i mean call it what you will but out there observing and photographing and probably getting a lot of mental stock imagery <laughs> that you can pull on yes the um um i'm identify myself as a, as an artist and I I'm not a scientist I like to think of myself as a conservationist but the, you know but the reality is what I do is connect through my experience emotionally connect people to um, to the environment to the animals um, through my art uh, I'm like the Stuart sailfish that may be the only sailfish that a lot of people ever see of the hundreds of thousands of people that go through Stewart, Florida, most of them are never going to fish, catch a sailfish. Uh, but they know of the sailfish through that sculpture. Um, and learn the problem we have today with so many people being disconnected from the environment, from fishing, from hunting, from, you know, just being outdoors. I mean, now we have iPads. We don't, you know, Ford Motor Company is not selling Mustangs because kids don't need them. You know, they have iPads, you know, it's it's a, a little problematic. Um, so getting people to realize there's a whole environment out there that that we need and we're losing biodiversity. Um, 
very fast and trying to save it. You know, no, you can't save something you don't even know exists. Uh, so that's one of the things that I've uh, put a lot of effort into these last years is trying to get people to realize that uh, we've got to protect um, what we have, what we have left. Um, sure. It's special. And I think our listeners and readers, you know, and just anglers in general are really great that way. We're usually, you know, the first ones to spot uh, problems on the water or in that marine environment. And um, it is good to get everyone connected and, and spend some time in the sunshine. It's uh, we get sort of forced behind these computer screens <laughs> like, like we are. Like, I wish we were talking in your studio. It looks amazing. Um, yeah. But I get what you're saying. And, and that's a nice message to get across. Um, do you, do you guys get a lot of kids and stuff in the studio that you work with and try to inspire some young people? Yeah, with the, we've had a lot of uh, the schools bring classes in and, and we do a lot of stuff with, with young people here with, and exposing them to art too. I mean, a lot of people lack creativity and, and it's amazing what you can do with, uh, you know, a couple of tables and a, you know, some acrylic paint and some paper and let these kids make a mess and have fun and be, be kids, you know, you know, um, so that that is really uh, rewarding. Um, and then who knows, maybe 20 years from now, they'll become future art collectors and fishermen or who knows. Sure. And I know in Stewart, there's been a lot of water issues, right, with all of the, you know, pumping out the water from Laco and all this stuff. Um and it seems like you've gotten involved in in that, even on a, a really uh, macro level. I saw you had planted a bunch of native plants around your studio, or or was it your home? You were on the water. Um, I saw a news article or something about that. Yeah, with the that's um, uh, actually right behind the studio. We've got a, a preserve area where we planted um, over six hundred native plants, and we've got it all trying to get it all natural. And, and it's an uphill battle because we've got the dirty water coming into it and um, trying to clean it up. We've provided some food for the manatees. The, the, um, the little, it's a little tributary off the uh, manatee pocket. And uh, when it gets cold out, it'll be chock full of manatees, which is, which is wonderful. Um, the downside for the manatees and for us is that the, the, the water clarity is it's, it's really muddy and you can't really, you can see them when they pop up, but you know, there's, so I've got to, you know, drive across the state in order to, uh, you know, film manatees in crystal clear water, you know, which is. Yeah, they are. That's uh, a great way to get kids connected, boy. They go crazy when they see one of those things. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, the, the manatees are the, the, such, such cool animals and, and, uh, you know, they're slow, unfortunately with, between the getting hit by boats and and the uh, lack of uh, in the Indian River Lagoon, we've had a tremendous die off of the seagrass, and and it's all from that you know the water. new bad water, the nutrients. So it's it's been it's been tough. Yeah, I think boaters have a love hate relationship with manatees. <laughs> we we love to see them, but those manatee zones that take hours to get through can be a drag at times but i mean that's yeah. it's the price we should pay you know they are they are cool to see and and tell the tell the story about the anchor and the manatee that was that's a pretty cool story 
Oh yeah, that was that was ama amazing, and and um, we're um, in the Crystal River area, and and there's a little bit of a current, and we're on our paddle boards, uh, my wife and I, and and a couple of friends, and um, we we had to you had to keep paddling because of the current, and I was in the water, swimming, and um, and even though that water's warm, you know, eventually even with the thin skin on you you get cold but um uh, my wife said well we need it we should have brought an anchor and um and I, I didn't think of it you know i normally don't have an anchor on the paddleboard and um this manatee reached down and picked this line up and it was so cool and it was just chewing on the line had it in his hands and then i looked down and there's a brand new shiny anchor <laughs> So I swam down, got it, <laughs> gave it to my wife. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't believe it if I didn't see the pictures. That's a pretty crazy story. Yeah. The, um, the, the other thing that was uh, um, crazy on that, uh, that trip, I've got the Canon. Oh, the underwater straight. camera. And then, you know, the camera's expensive, and then you got to get the case for it. That's another three grand or something for the case. And, and, um, we did a little Google search and they say the iPhones, the iPhones are good underwater for about 12 feet and holy smokes. I think the iPhone did as good a photographing uh, filming as my big Canon camera <laughs> for a crazy. fraction of the cost. So that, that was, that was interesting. Yeah. Um, Do you, you still enjoy jumping in the water with all the, all the stuff you're going to, you know, capture in sculpture form or paint? I, I sure do. Um, I um, we have a, a, a home up in Alaska on the Kenai Peninsula, and I, um, it's been kind of just logistics as far as bringing the wetsuits and the camera housing and everything. Um, but I I really enjoyed filming the sockeye salmon in their um, going upstream and and laying their eggs and the breeding and everything and and that's been really fun and i've been doing that basically with the with the gopro um on a stick or or using the iphone uh, you know on, with a holder but you know i've got some absolutely cool vi video and stills that i've used um but i'd like to get in the water and and do it all with the big but i just think it's it's just a little cold. <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> but, yeah, but, uh, especially coming know, from Florida. I love getting, you know, sharks and, you know, whales. We, I was down off of the Dominican Republic with uh, Conscious Breath Adventures uh, last um, winter uh, where we swam with the humpback whales. And, you know, to describe swimming up to, you know, having them come to you you know this 50 foot you know 40 ton animal with its baby just you know wow. come by they look look you in the eye and it, it it you know you can think how big it is or whatever but until you're you're that little you know you're like a little bait fish you know <laughs> that's um, crazy so that is you know it, it is a, an experience that you know you know be, everybody should do you know it's just it's so cool so how do you take something like that, like swimming with an animal or catching a fish, and then from step A, that, to it being a finished 
sculpture like what how does that work what's the process do you draw it first do you how, how does it all happen yeah so um you know i get i get inspired and and um so uh like with the whales we had on january 7th last year um off of hope sound beach a northern right whale was spot my uh, my son actually spotted it called me and it was a, a Saturday morning I'm at the studio and and uh, he's like dad there's a whale right along the beach you know and I was just thinking it'd be a humpback but I grabbed my drone and my camera and uh, ran down there and sure enough it was a northern right whale and um, I sent the images I got up to um, Fish and Wildlife and in Jacksonville and they sent them up to Boston and and um, they identified the whale as Pilgrim and she was a 20 year old female and it was her first calf and so it was really cool to have this it, uh, very very rare whale actually came down out of its normal breeding range they actually um, give birth uh, up by Cape Canaveral farther up St. Augustine to Cape Canaveral up in that area uh, so this one came down a little far south and the rules are you're supposed to stay 500 yards back um, and uh, with a humpback it's 500 feet uh, but I I had my drone was probably less than 500 yards but way more than 500 feet but I was thinking it was 500 and I got corrected and you know told them like <laughs> so but I didn't get any real good close-up shots of the whale for for that reason you know and, and uh, but we, we did see a boat come and go right around it, you know, really close. Um, and, you know, those people didn't know what they were doing. And, and so trying to educate people that, you know, hey, we got to give these, these animals some space and, and uh, you know, is, is very important. But so inspired by that, uh, I did a sculpture, um, I think a 20th scale but I've, I've got a, a, I did a beautiful sculpture of the, the mother and the calf. And then we've, we've used that to, we've sold one and we've donated uh, from that sale $10,000 to IFOV, International Animal Welfare um, Foundation there. And, and that um, hopefully helping, but there's a lot, a lot to do with um, boat entangle, entanglements with fishing gear, mm -hmm. uh, mostly not sport fishing but commercial um and then you know the uh, areas where they want to reduce speed and stuff yeah and that's with, a big with, issue right now in the with the, the fishermen it, it's really a negative thing with the right whale but you know i'm thinking with technology they can you know there's a way to get these things to to work out to where there's you know there's less than 300 adults alive i mean you know we are literally watching the the extinction of a species. Um, so I think we can all um, do do what we can to make, stop that from happening. And and even with the sport fish boats, there was one beautiful sport fish boat sank up in St. Augustine a few years ago from hitting one. And, and just nobody wants that, you know. Yeah, no, that's a that's a big can of worms right there, Jeffrey. And we were just at the Fort Lauderdale boat show and. A lot of talk about the this NOAA rule of slowing boats down to ten knots and stuff, but um, 
that's cool that you were able to, to capture that, you know, and my question is like, just from the dimensions, like, so if you say, I want to make a sculpture of this right whale and her calf, I mean, how do you even get all the dimensions right? So your sculpture looks correct. Yeah. It's such a smaller version of the real thing. And do you just do um, it by eye and feel? A, a lot of it is eye and feel, but you know, one thing we do have a, this vast resource called the internet and you can, <laughs> you know, you can find a, you know, unfortunately way too many pictures of dead right whales laying on the beach, but there's also dimensions and all the, you know, uh, you know, scientific information on their anatomy, you know, sketches, skeletons and things. And, and actually in the Smithsonian, there's a, in Washington, DC, uh, there's a right whale a skeleton and a, and a sculpted one life size that I've seen. Um, mm. So there are, if, with a little digging, there's lots of resources. Um, and then just trying to make it fit and, you know, add a little clay, take away, bend this, that, and, and, and just over time in a, and then not, and then having time to do it. Um, I like to work. I have usually several things going on at once, um, but you get immersed into something and then you'll get, st you got to stand back, get away from it, you know, and then come back with fresh eyes and, um, you know, then, so, so that's, it's always good to um, uh, give, give it some time, you know, and then and keep, keep working on it. And, and, and knowing when you're done is, is difficult, you know, not only with a, a, a sculpture, a painting, any of that. It's like, I know when I'm painting, my wife's always stop, you're done, you're done. <laughs> Don't, yeah. One, one more brushstroke and you'll ruin it. You know, <laughs> that was going to be my next question is, because even, you know, as a writer, you kind of can keep editing and editing. At some point, you just have to say stop and hand it off to somebody else. Um, but so you start in clay and then from clay, you make a mold, right? And then. Yeah. So the, the, the foundry process is long and complicated, but 90% of what I do is done when the, when the clay model is finished. Uh, but from there, a, well, first, when we, when we make the clay model, uh, from the drawings, then I'll make an armature. And typically that'll be cut out of like the right way. It'll be cut out of styrofoam. Uh, or here's, here's a, so, a little green heron. Oh, look at that. Wow. And you can see the styrofoam. Uh, this has already been molded. So for our listeners, Jeffrey's showing me a, a sculpture of a bird and it's in clay on top of styrofoam yeah wow. so that you can you can see the, the the limb here so this was part of a oh a, probably an 18 foot sculpture that is uh it's gonna have a pair of they're all life and a half scale but a life size or life and a half frigate birds and spoonbills it's a big mangrove tree and a and a reflecting pond um but i'll make I'll make the uh, original sculpture, I'll carve it out of styrofoam. And then the clay may only be an inch thick. Um, and then if you something's wrong, you cut through the clay and cut through the styrofoam. You're always, you know, you always run into the armature. <laughs> um, That's amazing. Moving it around. And, and um, but there's, 
a lot to it. And then I usually I'll start with a smaller model, just like the bit like this. I did a smaller maquette, which had them all in it, all the different birds. Um, but the, the foundry process, um, everybody likes to the simplified version of it, but it, it's, it's very difficult. It's, you know, simplified. It's about 20 steps, but essentially the, from the clay, we make a rubber mold and we recreate a hollow wax. And then a ceramic shell is made around that wax. And then that is heated up. The wax melts out. That's why it's called lost wax. And then the bronze is poured in and then the shells, it cools, the shells busted apart. And it usually is done in multiple pieces and then welded together. And then we grind the welds and make it so you, you can't tell where it was put together. And then heat and different chemicals uh, and sometimes paint pigments um, react with the, with the metal. That's the patina. That's a Greek word that means color. And that's um, the final finish of the pieces, the patina. Wow. It's, it's quite a lost art, it seems like. It, there isn't many people really doing that anymore, is there? Well, it, it's, it's, uh, it's very, very laborious. It's all skilled labor. Everybody at the foundry is an artist. They're all doing their art on the side, and then they're working at the foundry to, in order to, um, so they can afford to do their artwork. They're working at the foundry. Um, it's a very difficult um, business to get into to, as far as the cost of casting the bronzes. And when I started out, you know, everybody said, oh, we'll work in the foundry and then, you know, do your work on the side and then sell it on the weekends. I'm like, oh, you'll be, I'll be worn out, you know, I won't, you know? And so I thought the only thing that would pay the, the, the founder, the beast that is this foundry um, would be selling the artwork. So my, I worked at, you know, I would get a piece of, I sculpt a bird or a fish in clay and I would take it around until I could sell two or three of them, pre-sell them. And then I would take it to the foundry. I would have enough money to get them cast and take it to the foundry. And then, so, you know, but the foundry's in Montana. So how nervous are you when that finished piece is being sent out from Montana to come to Stewart or wherever its final destination? Yeah, well, this must be a little nerve wracking. Yeah. So so what, what I do um, is I will ship the pieces there, the clay, and they always get beat up a little bit. And then I will fly out or some, you know, the old days drive out, you know, but I would go out there, spend a few days cleaning them up and get them ready for molding. Um, and then also the finish, putting the pieces together, I would be there for that. So okay. I, I've always been very hands-on at the foundry. And my foundry up there in Montana for 40 years, uh, Northwest Art Castings, uh, I met Mitch Billis at an art workshop in Jackson, Wyoming. And, you know, we were both kids in the art world and I had a, I had a camper van and, and I had my sculptures in boxes and then I put the bedding on top of that and I slept on top of that. And, and uh, it was summertime, Jackson, Wyoming is beautiful. And um, he didn't have a place to, this, another artist, he didn't have a place to stay. I said, well, you can sleep on the floor, you know? And so we became friends and then, uh, a couple months later, I was in back in Montana, 
Japan and he called me up. He goes, uh, I, got, I got this other guy. We're starting a foundry in Bozeman and, uh, you know, we'd like to do your work. I said, well, you know, I was their first customer. Oh, and uh, he and I had a long, long, you know, we're still good friends to this day. But um, with COVID, I was their first customer, their biggest customer. Uh, they, they did a great, great job for me. Uh, with COVID and Bozeman, has, it kind of exploded, you know, with uh, population and cost of living went through the roof. And uh, I went to college in Bozeman. I graduated in, I think, 83. It's a different town today. Sure. Um, and anyway, the, the foundry didn't make it. And um, I think it was two years ago, middle of winter, that's they had finally shut down. And I had to go up and get my molds. And um, it's hard to think back at how bad things were during COVID. But um, I, couldn't, I couldn't hire anybody to help me. So I flew to Bozeman. That was my first Uber drive on my, on my own. I got an Uber from the airport to the U-Haul place. Had this great big U-Haul lined up. And I drove into the foundry. Spent the next two days loading as much as overloading the U-Haul. And then driving down to um, Loveland, Colorado, where uh, where I'm casting my work now at uh, Art Castings, fabulous one, one another great great foundry. Uh, but wow. in yeah. in doing all that, um, of forty years of sculpting, I I had over six hundred molds in this big warehouse, and I only recovered about a hundred of them. And I, I only did one trip. I, you know, I think back now I should have done two or three trips and got more of them. But I was in an overloaded truck driving on icy roads in the middle of winter, Montana and Wyoming and down to Colorado. And I just thought, yeah, I'd hate to get in a wreck and have everybody say, well, you know, get, get killed on the highway. And it's like, why was he driving a U-Haul in the first place? <laughs> You know, but we couldn't hire anybody. And, and so it's made the um, my sculptures much more scarce because so many of them uh, good pieces that, you know, I, I just don't have anymore. They're so. just gone. They the, the founder well, just the, got the, rid of them. The molds, the molds are gone. You know, wow, so that hurts. And we had, yeah, we, we had a bunch more. We were going to get a semi to bring them down and then somehow somebody got a missed message and instead of them going to the semi, they ended up in the dumpster. And so, but, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. And, and you know, I still love sculpting and, you know, I'm, I'm still making new things. And, and mm -hmm. What is your focus been on sculpting right now? Are you still the same kind of marine life and marine mammals or are you, have you ventured out into I, I see like a tail behind you. It looks like a cat oh. <laughs> or something. Yep, as part of a panther. So I'm I'm actually doing. Uh, so I've got the, at the foundry right now. I've got a life and a half scale bald eagle oh, that cool. sits a, a, on top of a a big oak tree that's over ten feet tall and about eight feet wide. The whole thing's probably 15, 16 feet tall. Uh, that's in process. And then I have a, another, the, this mangrove tree with all the birds in it. Um, 
the pair of frigate birds on the you know, big frigate bird landing on the top feather there and a big spoonbill and some pelicans. So those are at the foundry. So while they're working through the foundry, I'm working on other projects and I'm I'm doing a what I call a miniature monument. It's um, a little mangrove tree and they're all little quarter scale birds and it's going in a little niche that goes down the, the circular staircase on a 75 Fleming yacht, Ooh. which is, um, so yeah, it's kind of it's small. Yeah, big, and, and uh, so that, that's really, really cool. But, um, you know, birds and fish are what I, I sculpt the most of. Uh, and I, I um, and then that I did a series of panthers. That's what you're seeing, a tail on the back. <laughs> Florida Panthers. I, again, I did them life in a half scale. So great big cats, about five of those. Over so the last few years. how long is the process from start to getting that sculpture? It must be years. It, it, it um, even a small piece, you know, it's, it's, it's a year. Now it's a year anyway. And then the big pieces are, are two, three year projects. Um, this after COVID, it's it's much it's much slower. I mean, things everything takes takes longer and cost more. Um, you know, it's kind of across the board. And and um, I know people come in, they're like, "Wow, your price!" You know, things things have really gone up. And and then their next comment is, "Well, so is everything else." You know, yeah. and, and I mean, just try to UPS something across the country, and you know, <laughs> right? It's crazy. But everyone could admire your Stuart sailfish for free. You just got to get down to Stuart, and and I think it's um it's such a beautiful piece, and and I've been a fan of your work for a long time. Uh, another magazine I used to work for had an art gallery issue, and we would always get stuff from you, and um, you were always pumping out new things all the time. It's uh it's really impressive what you do there. Well, I I um. I love the, um, the, you know, I, I, early on, I joked, I wish I could have been in the, you know, in the fishing world or something, but, or, or fishing or hunting, you know, the outdoor, but really I am because all my customers are fishermen or hunters, conservationists, and, you know, it's enabled me to, you know, I've, you know, fished all over the world, you know, I've gone on, you know, hunting trips all over the world. Uh, and now I've got a place in Alaska where, you know, I can I can go out on my own and and get get way too close to big grizzly bears, you know. <laughs> oh, gee. Well. And, and and you know, and salmon and bald eagles and and you know all that and 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 then that relates to to my art and and you know I I couldn't have done you know and then the the people I've met along the way have been you know, it's just unbelievable. I've, you know, met great people all over the world that have become lifelong friends and um, through the art and through the animals. And, and you know, it's really been a, uh, a wonderful, um, you know, it's been a, been a wonderful run so far. Yeah, it sounds like it. And it's it's really been fun chatting with you. And, and thank you for taking some time out of your day to talk with us. And um, all of our listeners, you really have to see the artwork yourself to get a, a true appreciation. So if you're in the Stewart area, swing by Jeffrey's Gallery or visit his website. What's your website? 
jeffreysmith.com and that's okay. G-E-O-F-F-R-E-Y. Yeah, it's incredible stuff. And um, it's been really interesting to learn more about the process and hope to do more with you in the future. Yeah, well, I'm sure you'll be in Stewart at some time soon. It's, uh, you know, they're so, this is such a hub oh, for yeah. sports between all the, the boat manufacturers here and the people that live here. And, and uh, uh, Peter B. Wright, he used to live right around the corner from my studio. Oh, Peter was a, was a great friend of mine, and I worked with him at a different magazine for many years. Really good guy. That's cool. And I am down there quite a bit, so I would I will swing by and buy you a coffee. Well, we have it here, so <laughs> I look forward to that. All right, Jeffrey. Sounds great, my friend. Thanks again. Charlie, excellent. Thank, thanks so much.